Radio Book Club on KZMU, your community radio station high atop Rocky Road at 90.1, 106.7, kzmu.org worldwide. And first, I must thank everyone who sent in their pledges and their show support for the Spring Radiothon. We raised a record amount, over $45,000. Boy, break that down per citizen. That's like five bucks a pop for everyone in this valley. <laughs> Absolutely remarkable. So thank you for your support of uh, Live Roots Community Radio in Grand County. Radio Book Club for Sunday of, for Sunday, first <laughs> Monday of every month where we spend about an hour with Sherry Zollinger from Back of Beyond Books and Jesse Magleby from the Grand County Public Library talking about our favorite subject, reading and literature and books. And today is no different. Good afternoon, ladies. Good afternoon, good everyone. Good morning. <laughs> Happy Sunday and good Sunday, morning. Sunday, Monday, morning, <laughs> evening. Um, yeah, it's uh, good to have both of you up here again. Uh, we missed Jesse last week or last month, and uh, we, we talked a little schmack about her on vacation <laughs> and all, but uh, welcome back, Jesse. Thank you. What's going on at the Grand County Public Library? Well, we are jumping right into library programming this month. I've got three events to tell you about. Um, this Thursday, May 5th at 6 p.m., the library is excited to welcome poet Nancy Takas. Uh, she will be reading from her newly published poetry collection called Dearest Water. A poet in love with wild places, Nancy Takas is the inaugural poet laureate of Helper City, Utah. Her book, The Worrier, received the Juniper Prize, and her new book, Dearest Water, addresses the love of water in its many forms and our concern with drought. Um, I, find her, I found her poems to be quite lovely. They're mm -hmm. beautiful without being saccharine and um, precious, and uh, she, um, she shows a, a deep love of nature without uh, a clear-eyed and mature love of of nature in our surrounding world and I welcome uh, she's a neighbor of ours she lives right up the road in Wellington Utah and uh, we're excited to welcome her to read poetry for you guys again that's this Thursday May 5th at 6 p.m. at the Moab Library Branch and if, if I might interject you, might. you know Nancy did a, a reading at Back of Beyond a number of years ago for I believe that the book was titled Juniper mm -hmm. also a collection of poems mm -hmm. but it was a beautifully produced uh, book I think it was letter pressed and it had this homemade paper that I correct me if I'm wrong but I think it had seeds of flowers right embossed within the paper itself so uh, I just love uh, poets and authors who take the extra yard to make their books beautiful Indeed. within and without yeah and, and that ties right in to the cover the of cover this current That's what book I was say. is uh graced by a painting um that is by our very own uh, moab's very own julia buckwalter many of you will remember her from uh the years that she worked at back of beyond books and um she is now focusing on her painting pretty much full-time as i understand anyway it's lovely to see her paintings on another book cover. that's right yes <laughs> yeah uh, number two got, yep, yep yep previously it was uh the uh 
Oh, the Southwest oh, come Colorado come on, book. Come on, the three of us. <laughs> I can picture totally it. I can do it, Drew a blank. I can sure it, picture that speaks to her art. I can sure oh, picture the painting. Come on. This is pop um, question number number one today. Yes, moving right along. We'll jump back in when that's Church of the Church Saint. Oh, Graveyard of the Churchyard Saints? or Saint, Church of the Church Graveyard of the, Saints. Church of the Graveyard <laughs> Saints. Yes, we did it. <laughs> wonderful, wonderful. Anyways, go, Julia. That's wonderful. Thanks. Um, and then, let's see, on uh, May 19th, which is also a Thursday, we'll be hosting um, a financial literacy talk about personal finances. Um and the path to financial freedom may begin with an examination of our attitudes around money. And uh, Lizzie McDougall, a financial advisor, is going to come do a free workshop discussing uh, attitudes around money as a way um, of, of focusing your, your financial life to be um, as healthy and freeing as possible. So please come. Uh, to the library that evening, May 19th. That's going to begin at 6 p.m. Later, uh, one day later, we are going to have an outdoor movie screening in the Center Street Ball Fields. That's going to be May 20th at dusk, about 8 p.m. And I'm so excited. We're going to show on the big, big, big screen uh, a documentary called My Octopus Teacher. Oh, this, nice. Yes. <laughs> this worthy thing? documentary won uh, this year's Academy Award for Best Documentary, deservedly mm. so. It is a gorgeously filmed mm. story and um, uh, about a, a diver who, who um, as a way of coping with, with his own depression and stress, start, d- pledges to dive every day for a year uh, out, out of his backyard, basically. He lives on the coast of the Chilean coast in this deep kelp forest. And there he begins uh, making friends with an octopus, or rather the octopus begins making friends with him. He's filming her. He was a documentary filmmaker and um, already, and he starts filming her. And uh, the friendship became so interesting and profound that he invited another fellow documentary filmmaker to join him and they were able to complete this story highly recommend this it's it's uh good for the whole family Mm -hmm. um it is a a movie about nature so there are uh hunting hunting scene there is a hunting scene um that that might be a little bit hard to watch for a second but it ends well anyway my octopus teacher is just gorgeous and we're super excited to show that on may 20th at dusk bring your own chair blanket picnic whatever you want (laughs) it's gonna be free and that cool. is May for the, the, the library. The cinematography is just unworldly. What shots he got! It's and the emotionality. Gorgeous. Yeah, yeah. The emotion yeah. that he captures on both sides. Yeah. Of good the stuff. Really good. I'm excited about that yeah. one. All right, and that'll be fun to w- watch outside. I yeah, think that's and on really the big wa- screen, oh, yeah. you just feel like you're in. Hopefully, feel like you're in the <laughs> ocean. I think with this, with these guys, you should see a crowd on that. I hope I so. I hope so. Sherry, what Tobacco Beyond have on tap for May? We have a couple of things. Two signings, literally just signings. They're not um, readings, which would be kind of a sit down and listen to the author um, that way. Th- these are actually two in may one on may 16th we have kevin jones coming of course he's one of our own 
doesn't still live here locally, but I think he grew up here, didn't he? Didn't Kevin grow up? He was a park service brat, and okay. so they moved around, but um, they kind of got their, their southeast Utah chops when mm-hmm. their dad was superintendent at Dinosaur okay. National Monument. Yeah, and, and so, then yeah. Uh, one sibling lives here still. Still. Yeah. And uh, Kevin wrote a book called A Quick Trip to Moab. Andy, you actually have read this already, and you're going to be doing I'll a review, review of yeah, that. a little later. Okay, and so he'll be signing from 4 to 5.30 uh, at the bookstore May 16th. He's just going to be hanging out, sitting at, we have Ed's desk. I don't know if you all know that, but we actually literally have Ed, Abby's desk in the bookstore right now. So Kevin will be hanging out there and just ready to sign and talk to fans and, and uh, you know, just just generally sit there and, and make himself at home. <laughs> I liked how you said we have Ed's desk. It's like everyone knows. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. I was like, we have Ed's desk. Then I thought, maybe I should say Ed Abby's <laughs> desk. <laughs> it's on loan, of course. <laughs> yes. Uh, but we've had some fun, just all of us sitting behind that desk <laughs> lately. Uh, we also have Craig Childs, who has a new book uh, called Tracing Time, Season of Rock Art on the Colorado Plateau. He's coming to sign as well. And uh, he'll be here from, oh, I don't have the time. I think 6 to 8. I need to check that. Yeah, Pretty sure six that's to eight. right. Uh, he'll be here again signing at Ed's desk. Uh, from 6 to 8 on May the 21st. And he'll be, of course, uh, signing pretty exclusively from Tracing Time, his new book. And we reviewed Tracing Time last month, and we'll review uh, Kevin Jones's here in a bit. Yep. And so that's the event status at Back of Beyond for May. Yeah, it's nice to have some live uh, authors in the mm-hmm. store. We're still a little cautious so we felt like we didn't want to pack 100 people in mm-hmm. yet. So that, hence the signing as opposed to a reading. Yeah. Uh, and we do still, re- uh, we don't require, we uh, request masks if you feel the need. Mm-hmm. So uh, every month we also, on Radio Book Club, go over a few notables from the bestseller list at the Independent Bookstore Coalition through the American Booksellers Association uh, produces. And I see, Jesse, you've got a bunch of highlighted books. What what do the highlights, one in green and the rest in yellow <laughs> and two ignored or three <laughs> ignored? What's the code word here? So uh, these are the ones in yellow are books that the library owns, has in, in circulation for you to check out. And the ones that are highlighted in green indicate ones that are coming but aren't here yet. They're on order. So this is a copy of a sign <laughs> that I post uh, out I in the library on the library secret desk. Secret literary language. And what about the ones that are not highlighted the ones that are highlighted have are either being ignored or i'm waiting for someone to request them (laughs) yeah nobody yet has asked me for the stanley tucci book i keep expecting somebody will want to read taste wow so here's your chance folks did you know that the library will order in books that you request if we don't have a book we'll get it in for you one way or the other we'll go hop down the street and grab it from back of beyond books 
or which we love when which you do that. love of course <laughs> <laughs> or uh, we can also get some books uh borrow from other libraries if necessary so make sure to ask if you don't see what you want to read on the shelf or in the catalog let us know and we uh we try to fill every single request one way or the other any surprises on the bestseller list or uh it's kind of funny you know braiding sweet grass and mouse keep toggling from what from number one like it'll be it'll be mouse the first number one mouse and that'll go for the you know one week and then and then it'll not bring sweet grass to number two and then the next week it'll come back Flip around interesting yeah. what a pair so we should say that's the uh, graphic novel mouse yes. by art spiegelman yes. which has uh, it's it's quite a few years old now but yeah. There's revived interest because it is being banned and challenged in schools and libraries across the nation. Yeah, both um, Mouse 1 and 2 are both mm, staying mm. on the indie bestseller list. So that's wonderful. Go ahead. Challenge a book. And challenge its legitimacy in yeah. your school. It's just going to make we people want to read we it. We love you. Do it more. <laughs> so the, this the, is great. The huge irony is, you know, Mouse deals with, with uh, World War II, Nazis. And yet, one of the reasons it was challenged was because of nudity of a mouse. Yeah, right. naked mice is pretty, pretty <laughs> racy stuff. <laughs> <laughs> um, the yeah. Rebecca Roanhorse. Now, I didn't read her first one. Andy, you read the first one, right? Rebecca Roanhorse. Black Horse? Yeah, or he didn't Black Sun? Yeah, Black Sun. Sun. Yeah, no, it. I, I, it wasn't for me. The Fevered Star, which is, I think, number two. Mm-hmm. In a series mm-hmm. um, is now at number I think five five yeah. or six on the on the uh, hardcover fiction. Um. She's really fun. I actually I read uh, I believe it was a Storm of Locusts her or a Storm of Lightning I forget now. Anyway, it was the first in another series. She is a young woman who's a Navajo and is writing fantasy. Um, and it's based in Navajo mythology, and mm-hmm. so I I found it found it to be really fun and a refreshing refreshing um, contribution to the fantasy genre. Yeah. yeah, I would recommend her to anybody that that uh, enjoys fantasy and or um, uh, Native American mythology and and uh, give her a try. Andy sometimes. Sometimes his own particular tastes may get in the way. I'm showing Rebecca from <laughs> <laughs> Well, now I'm going to break out of that. that You've uh, that, been reading a lot that of fiction. That egg, because yeah. we're going to talk about Hernan Diaz's awesome. In the Distance in yeah. a little bit. He and was that, interviewed uh, just on, a few days ago. On NPR, the yes. Scott Simon. Uh, such a good interview. Which I, I didn't hear that. I read the interview. Oh. But I brought, and we're going to hit ourselves, but I brought both. Diaz's second novel and his first novel. Mm. And I want to talk about both of them. Cool. You know, many of my choices are on this indie bestseller list, things that I'd like to talk about a little later. So, like, number one hardcover fiction is Sea of Tranquility by Emily St. John Mandel. And we'll, both Andy and I have read that in the last few weeks, so we're going to review that one. Number two is Time as a Mother, Ocean Vuong. And, and Jesse and I both read that and have brought poems to share today. Um, and then I also read The Candy House, which is number three on the hard, hardcover fiction top sellers by Jennifer Egan. And so 
we'll be we'll be really hitting this list pretty hard today with our reviews. Sounds like it. And maybe that's just a natural segue into some of our picks of the week. And Sherry, since you mentioned Sea of Tranquility, Emily St. Yeah. John Mandel, uh, this is what her third? As far as I know, third. Third novel. The Glass House and then Station Eleven. And the other way around. Oh, At Station Eleven. Yeah, mm-hmm. Station Eleven, Glass House. And Glass Hotel. Glass Hotel. Glass Hotel. And Candy House. Candy House. And the location <laughs> of, of Glass Hotel uh, ties straight into Sea of Tranquility. Uh, but it's not a sequel in any way. Okay, because I didn't read Glass Hotel. Nor did I, but I went yeah. back to read more about her earlier work because I was so darned intrigued with this book. It is out of my wheelhouse. It is a time travel. Not only time yeah. travel, but there's three to four different stories yep. in different generations, different centuries even. Even way out Even ahead. in outer space. Yeah. Yeah, so it... I, I don't deal well with, with these <laughs> multiple storylines in multiple universes. <laughs> and yet, just I'll just slowly say it, but surely. her writing is so beautiful. Yeah. And her characters were so darn compelling that I, I read it on, on the plane going to New York. It oh. was It's a quick, it's not a fat novel. I certainly had to slow down and go back and say, okay, who is this character? Because how Emily brings the characters together, and I'm not going to tell you how, but it was a mind twist. Yeah, because you start out thinking you're in a period novel. You know, there's 19 a ni- turn of the century, so. a British man, a gentleman heads off to Canada because he was uh, expelled from his home. <laughs> and, you know, he's... he's the second son. Yeah, yeah, the second son. He has to go kind of live his life in Canada. And, and it, it reads like, you know, any good period, you know, British novel. <laughs> and you're thinking, wow, you know, how is this going to get to the moon? Because we know there's moon colonization in this book. And, and so, and then... She's so good at giving you these very disparate stories that are all ultimately connected, completely connected. And it's one scene yeah. of music. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So yeah. I'm hearing parallels to this makes me think of Cloud Atlas by, yes. by David Mitchell. Yes. A little bit like that. Yes. Ah. But also it's a story within a story. One of the characters is an author who was well known for writing a non-fictional book about a pandemic which she is touring the world while another pandemic starts. And we find that she's going to die from this pandemic, or is she? Yeah, I was going to say, don't give too much away there. But it's it's <laughs> it's a story within yes. a story within a story. Yes. And then when the characters start, oh, also, it gives me chills. Oh, my gosh. I got to come also, get my own copy I, of this. I did hear an interview with her, and she has had a lot of time on book tour. And she's been asked a lot of varying questions as a writer, as an author, and a lot of those questions show up within the within, her tour, within the fictional yes, characters tour. Yes, and so you're really seeing kind of her that reflection of her within that, and and I love that part, actually. So I, I don't, I never thought of it as sci-fi. Oh really? Uh, and and if I can get away from that label, mm. 
mm-hmm. I may be okay. <laughs> so the label has some serious, uh, <laughs> it's done some serious damage on to your brain. I, I think so. <laughs> because it truly is in, in, you know, I'm thinking of Le Guin and, and others, you know, it's just right in that vein where it's just super smart. It's diverse, it's eclectic, um, but also tightly bound in the sense that she knows every piece of those stories so that she can weave them together in this this ultimate ultimate last page really ultimate last two pages it's a page turner for sure wow that's a compelling review you guys i i'm still on the waiting list at the library so many (laughs) people want to read it so i'm still in line and that is speaking of cover art it is stunningly beautiful and texturally beautiful Hmm. it's just a, a very pleasing book yeah and if you ever want to you know kind of think about what it would be like to live on the moon and how you would colonize (laughs) the moon uh yeah read read this she does a good job of conceiving of that the sea of tranquility is a it's one of the the mares on the sea exactly jesse what do you have on your pile well i want to talk about a book i've only read part of but i am so enjoying the part that i've read i feel confident uh, recommending a book this is a book by brian doyle it is called mink river brian doyle wrote um also um, after this was his first book mink river and he also wrote the plover and uh thirdly he wrote martin martin which andy reviewed uh, some months back and liked a lot as i recall um, I've this uh, author has been recommended to me quite a bit, um, quite a, quite a number of times by library patrons, and then more recently by a, a dear friend who just practically was going to mail me the book this minute <laughs> if I didn't go get my copy. Anyway, Mink River is so so lovely so far. So he's got a rather unconventional writing style. Doesn't bother me at all. I um, I I can gallop right along with it. Um, he is writing about a tiny fictional town on the Oregon coast, and he's writing about all of the interesting characters who live in tiny towns uh, like our own. There's a nun living her last days who uh, um, who brought back to and mended a little tiny crow chick that had fallen from a tree and, and broken all of his bones, and she brought him. She healed him with help and uh, taught him to speak and this crow comes into the story later as an adult his name is Moses and he can speak English and he's a main character there's a a, a, a small the small town cop who's obsessed with opera particularly Tosca which makes him weep every time he listens to it there's a blowtorch wielding fisherwoman we get to know there's a pair of idealistic old geezers in control of the public (laughs) works department um, whose self-described job it is to heal things and people Um, and uh, he conveys just the vibrancy of the small town and the characters and the wild animals they live right in on the verge you know, right on the edge of the ocean and the land and the huge, huge, lush, vibrant Oregon forests. And so wild animals figure um, figure into the stories as well. Um, I wanted to read one little... The first page is this great description of the town. He spends a few paragraphs describing what kind of town it is not, which is <laughs> hilarious. Um 
and uh, but there are some odd sweet corners here, he says, and friendly houses and sheds and barns and a school and churches and shops and a certain rhythmic angles in the town where a road and a building and a line of trees intersect to make a sort of symmetrical, geometric, architectural, textual, physical music in the right light. You can see he gets a little poetic with his prose here. The kind of juxtaposition of things that painters like to paint for inchoate, inarticulate, unconscious reasons they can never explain. And the light, the light itself, well, there's a certain certainness of light here. The way it shafts itself through and around things confidently, exuberantly, densely, substantively. And it has something to do with the nearby ocean, maybe, or the rain, which falls eight months a year, or the sheer jungle energy of trees and plants here, where the flora release so many feminine ions that the light fractures into geometric patterns that are organized along magnetic lines coherent with the tides and sometimes visible to the naked eye really and truly just a short paragraph from mink river by brian doyle um, i'm enjoying the quirky characters they're hilarious conversations i'm enjoying moses the the crow and his interaction with the people of the town there's a lot of brokenness in this book in this town and its people just like in real life but i think this is going to be a book about the healing that we're capable of um and healing other people and ourselves and other creatures mm. and our damaged world as well. So, um, Brian Doyle's Mink River, I'm giving it an A plus so far. Sadly, we lost Mr. Doyle. 2017. 2017 mm -hmm. of a brain tumor. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, he was a wordsmith hmm. and well, well loved. Yeah. Lived outside of uh, Portland. That's right. Yeah. Sherry, what do you have? Well, I think I'm going to bring on uh, Ocean Vuong, Time as a Mother, and I, I'll do a little bit, Jesse, and then hand it over to you. I know that you have a poem that you've picked out of his as I well. Do. Of course, Ocean is a novelist as well. Well, he's really a poet, um, and this is his second, as far as I know, his, his second book of poetry called Time as a Mother. And if you will indulge me, I would like to read a little bit. I listened a couple of weeks ago I heard him on fresh air and it was just a little bit because I wasn't driving for very long and he was of course talking about his mother who died of breast cancer in 2019 uh, immigrant who'd come uh, from Vietnam <coughs> he actually was born in Vietnam and uh, grew up in uh, back east in the states uh, but it was this uh, the way he was speaking about his mother, the grief in his voice, uh, but also uh, this this honoring and this this loving. And so, I I grabbed a copy of his work and the this particular book, Time as a Mother, and and just I know Jesse, you've been kind of going at it one by one. I kind of dove in and and read about all of them in one sitting. And um, I ended up writing a little review that I'd just like to write, read, read a little bit of. I wrote a review for the bookstore. I happened upon a radio interview with Ocean Vuong recently, Terry Gross, NPR Fresh Air. He was being interviewed about his newest collection of poetry, Time as a Mother. I was taken by Vuong's vulnerability as he spoke elegiacally and with grief at about, about a time when 
At a book signing where his mother was in attendance, the audience applauded her, the mother of this increasingly famous poet. Wang tenderly articulated the heartbreak of hearing this applause. He'd come to understand his mother as the true artist, an immigrant from Vietnam who'd spent her years working in a nail salon. He believed that to be a true survivor like his mother, one had to be creative, and that survival might be, in his mind, the highest and greatest act of creativity, one worthy of applause. This collection of poetry was published after Vuong's mother died of breast cancer. He ritualized grief in each poem, with his mother muse bound to each stanza, even if the poem wasn't about her. This collection also sits under the spell of a title that holds a double entendre. One, time is a visceral bedmate when we've lost someone essential to our identity, someone like our mother. And two, that time, profanely yet sacredly, can, in all its rawness, hurt like a mother. (laughs) (laughs) And then I want to go ahead and and read one of his poems, and then I'll hand it over to you, Jesse, and you can share a little bit about your thoughts on ocean. This one is called Rise and Shine. Scraped the last $8.48 from the glass jar, your day's worth of tips at the nail salon. Enough for one hit, enough to be good till noon, but these hands already blurring. The money, a weird hummingbird caught in my fingers. I take out the carton of eggs, crack four yolks into a day, a day white bowl, spoon the shells, scallions hiss in oil, a flick of fish sauce, garlic crushed the way you taught me, the pan bubbling into a small possible sun. I am a decent sun, salt and pepper, a sprig of parsley softened in steam. Done, the plate fogs its own ghosts. I draw a smiley face on a napkin with a purple marker. I lace my boots. It doesn't work, so I tuck them in. Close the back door. Gently the birches sway but never touch. The crickets unhinge their jaws in first light. Last syllables crackling like a pipe steady over a blue flame as footsteps dim down a dawn cold, a dawn gold road and your face at the window, a thumbprint left over from who's God. Jesse, what are your thoughts? That was the uh, first poem I read when I cracked the book open at random. And that was the one, (laughs) that was the first one I read. It just was, just hit me really hard. It's really beautiful. So you can see he's writing these, um, as with his novel, he's writing to and about his mother and his relationship and love to his mother. He references uh, struggle with addiction as well uh, in several of the poems, and I think in the one I'm going to read in a moment also. Um, I read uh, an interview on NPR with Ocean Vuong uh, recently, and I pulled a a quote that I found really meaningful. Uh, He said, 
When it comes to watching your mother take her last breath, I thought, wait a minute, this is what so many children have experienced since the beginning of our species. And it made me realize when I was having a bad day or having a rough day at work, I looked at someone and I said, oh, they lost their mother. Or if someone much younger, that they're going to lose their mother. And all of a sudden, I'm just so close to them. I'm sad. That's the bridge. That's the bridge where we will all meet each other eventually. And it mm. makes you kinder in a very fundamental way. Mm. Isn't that something? Yeah. That's perfectly bridged to this whole thing. Yeah. <laughs> um, the poem I'm going to read is called Waterline. If I should wake and the ark, the ark already gone. If there was one shivering thing at my side, if the snow in his hair was all that was left of the fire, if we ran through the orchard with our mouths wide open and still too small for amen, if I nationed myself in the shadow of a colossal wave, if only to hold on by opening, by kingdom come, give me this one eighth day, let me enter this nearly gone yes, the way death enters anything fully without a trace. Mm. We like him. We like him. <laughs> Ocean Vuong from Time is a Mother. It's wonderful to see poetry on national bestseller lists. It is. And Amanda Gorman's still on. Yes, she's sure at is. about 14 or 15, but yep. Call us what we carry, Amanda Gorman. Mm -hmm. Yep, that's been on the list for quite a while too speaking of poetry i actually brought a slim volume unlike anything i've ever mm -hmm. seen and uh, in full disclosure uh eloisa amasqua is a friend of mine lives in new york city and uh perhaps i'm biased but um this is her second book of poetry it's called fighting is like a wife it's on coffee house press a very noted small literary press out of the twin cities and what Eloisa has done is literally written a book of poems on the boxer Bobby Chacon and his late wife. Uh, they've both subsequently passed. And on first glance, you would, second glance and third glance, is a book of poetry about a boxer and the, the tragic life that he and, and his wife led. Um, I'm going to read just an excerpt from the, the blurb. It's, but the brain sloshing blows, the women and the alcohol began to take their toll, and soon Bobby couldn't hear her anymore. Mm. And it's, it's a, I saw photos of Eloise's uh, layout of this book, and she filled her whole apartment wall because, and I'm going to show my co-hosts, the the book is laid out in in very unique style and some of the po poems you read from the bottom to the top some are repeating poems mm -hmm. some are laid out very uniquely and when by the time you get through this you are viscerally changed <laughs> by mm. poetry and boxing which i never thought i'd be interested in mm. but it's it's masterfully well done and dark and sad and yet um, there's some light there as mm. well. So it's Fighting is Like a Wife, Eloisa Emasqua, and it's her second book of poetry. And if I might, since we're on Coffee House Press, I'm going to segue mm -hmm. right into a second uh, 
Coffee House Press volume today. And this is Hernan Diaz's In the Distance. And I am known for liking dark Western genre, the a la, a la Cormac McCarthy. Mm-hmm. This is not that, but it ostensibly is about the West. And the setting is a young Swedish immigrant who on the docks of Europe, he's immigrating with his brother. They get separated on the dock as they're getting ready to board their boat. And they never see each other again. And the younger brother gets on the boat and he spends most of the rest of the book searching for his brother who he thinks ended up in New York. He doesn't know. And so he's frantically trying to get east to to hook up with his brother because this is just a young kid. And along the way, he meets, well, he meets Mormon immigrants, um, religious uh, converts. He meets uh, lawmen both on the right side of the law and on the other side of the law, he meets a, a, a madam who takes him in. Uh, he The implausible characters and the implausible storyline on the surface doesn't make a lot of sense, and yet Hernan's language and prose uh, totally sucked me in to the point where I just, I, it's on my staff pick, and I, I tell everyone who I can to read this book. And so I was so excited when Hernan's second novel came out. It's called Trust. It's on Riverhead Books, a, you know, one of the big publishers. And it's a big, fat tome. <laughs> and you can see my bookmark. It's on page 131. And nothing has happened yet in the novel. I am so disturbed really? and saddened. <laughs> How far in are you? I'm out of 500 pages. 400 pages so I'm a third of third of the way through and I don't want to dissuade people from reading it because mm-hmm. it's getting very interesting reviews across the board the the Los Angeles Times get a gave it a really good review Scott Simon interviewed her name yeah, it was a great interview and I, I, I read that it, and yeah. I was very intrigued by it but it's a book within a book and it takes place during the depression and it's it's a multiple storyline and I've gotten through the first novel. There's four novels within the novel. And I don't know what I'm going to do with it because hmm. I'm so bored. <gasps> Sad to say. Oh, darn it. <laughs> so what do I do? Keep going? You have Invest it that like time? It sounds like it might be worth giving it a few more pages. If yeah. you're reading those kinds of reviews and you know the caliber of writer. I know. I know. I mean, it's not a guarantee, but uh, yeah. it seems like... It, it sounds promising. It's a good S- question, though. Like, yeah. how, how many pages do you give a novel before <laughs> you say no <laughs> yeah. to the book? And I know, you know, some people never say no. You do not open a book unless you finish it. That's, you know, some that might be someone's moral, moral <laughs> idea. But um, what would you all say? Uh, it depends on how big my to-be-read list is. Uh-huh. And yes. that totally, I used to be that kind of person who just felt you open uh, it, like you a read total it. loser if I didn't finish yeah, a book too. that I'd started. Yeah. That was a lazy person and someone with no <laughs> stamina and uh, no intellectual rigor, not that I have. But anyhow, <laughs> I used to be a lot stricter about that. But now I work in a library. Holy mackerel, I'm surrounded yeah. by thousands of books that I want to read. And so I have less patience with with books now and yeah. I 
give myself permission to put one down. I can't tell you what what point. There's no formula. Uh, I just at certain point just go, I'm not enjoying this. And there's something within reach that I want to read more. And so sometimes I'll come back to it. Sometimes I won't. I, yeah. But I definitely uh, am gentler with myself. Yeah, I, I've, I, I forgive myself if I set down a book yeah, I didn't yeah. use to. Yeah. I think part of my psyche is that I don't use the library. I'm sorry. I, I do have a card, but you I have access to books in other ways. I like to, to <laughs> own the book. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if I spend money and, and books are not cheap, yeah. I, I used to feel like I had to finish it. Yeah. It was an investment. Mm-hmm. And anymore, maybe uh, it's not quite there, but uh, I can sell the book back to the bookstore. <laughs> <laughs> it's How your own you? circulation system. <laughs> right. Very similar. Yeah. Yeah. And, and more and more, I'd, I'd pick up fiction and just, you know, I, I tend to get a, a kind of a hit or a, an emotional hit on, oh, I'm going to like this book. Even before, you know, I might just look at the cover of the title. And, uh, and so now if you know, I'm 20, 30, 40 pages in and it, it's just not giving me that, I, I have no qualms at this point. Setting it aside. Just setting Good. it aside. And maybe I pick it up later sometimes mm-hmm. and then it hits me differently. That does happen as well. You've tuned in to KZMU's radio book club, Hardback Radio on your community radio station at the top of Rocky Road where we keep Zion musically uncensored for the last 30 years. We're reviewing our favorite books from Jesse Magleby of the Grand County Public Library and Sherry Zollinger of Back Up Beyond Books. I don't know who's up next. Um, who wants to take on the next one? I'll talk about another book that I've only read partially, but I'm definitely interested to finish. This one is by the musician actress writer Janelle Monet. It is called The Memory Librarian and Other Stories of Dirty Computer. So Dirty <laughs> Computer was the name of her album that came out not long ago. And this, along with a really long music slash feature film video that you can watch on YouTube, um, is uh, sort of develops on all of these themes of a technocratic... Um, future uh very um a total totally totalitarian future where humans all have computers embedded in their their brains and their um rigorously um um regulated their thoughts and dreams and lives are rigorously regulated by the state um so I would call this Afrofuturist science fiction or speculative fi- fiction. And um, the book com- is composed of five short stories co-written with Janelle Monet and um, five other um, Afrofuturist and sci-fi writers. So a dirty computer is a person in this, in this regime, in this world, um, a person who is a deviant and all deviants are considered uh, dangerous and bad and will be reprogrammed or cleaned as they call it. You're a dirty computer if you do not fit the standard norm. And um, the, uh, let's see, artists and musicians and painters and anyone with a queer identity, anyone with an unusual body shape or look is considered a deviant. Um, 
and unhealthy and you will be reprogrammed all of your memories and um, will be cleaned by a drug out of your mind by a drug they administer that's called Nevermind. Mm-hmm. And you have, uh, they implant different memories, I believe, and take your dream life away uh, and implant different dreams. However, there is a library of all of the memories and dreams. And uh, one person is appointed the memory librarian. I'm not really sure why she's there. I don't know if these um, dreams and, and memories need to be accessed in the future, why they're archived, but she is the gatekeeper. And the story that I'm reading, the titular story, the memory librarian, is um, about Seshet, this librarian, and what happens when she starts to fall in love. And um, A, she knows everybody's secrets, everybody's Mm. secret lives. Mm. Um, And B, she is also... Uh, showing signs of being a deviant herself hmm. and what what will happen there it's a really interesting setup um, the writing itself I found to be a little bit cluttered I think um, Janelle may get better as time goes on um, I think a lot of it is like I'm writing uh, with a capital W mm-hmm. kind of I'm feeling very writerly writing this uh, however the 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 concepts in this stories, I think, are really interesting. I watched a little bit of an interview with her about this, and she said when she started developing these themes of erasure of people's personhoods and um, uh, our identities being threatened, she felt like she was writing about the future. But she said uh, since the project began and uh, until now, she says it's, it's here. The future is here this erasure is happening right now in states, uh, certain states and in schools and um, all, all over. The history. Uh-huh, yeah. exactly. The memory history. Exactly, yeah. exactly. So um, I am very fascinated with this. I think I will pay more attention to her music. I've only heard a little bit of that album, but the, the parts of the video, the, um, the accompanying video with me you know it's a story but with music um that you can watch for free on youtube really really interesting very well produced and and cool to look at anyway i'm super intrigued and i will definitely um definitely keep going here so uh this i think it's maybe an important new voice in um afrofuturism and speculative fiction can you repeat the title? Yes, this is The Memory Librarian and Other Stories of Dirty Computer by Janelle Monet um, in collaboration with other writers. Thank you. Sherry? Yeah, it's so interesting. We always kind of end up sinking somehow, you know? <laughs> and that's a really nice segue into Jennifer Egan's The Candy House, which is also n- the near future. And she basically goes in and uh, there's a uh, main character named Bix who's kind of a like a tech demigod and he's done a bunch of companies and he ends up creating uh, a new technology and he calls it Own Your Unconscious. So it's interesting, you know, you're talking about memory and there's this one person sort of like holding the archive of memory. Um, well, this is, you can actually uh, download or have your memories downloaded and kind of put into a little, a little box, basically. Um, and I'll just read a little here. In the, so what's interesting about this book is, again, it's sort of like Sea of Tranquility, where you get um, all, 
five or six different stories all around this idea of, um, you know, this memory download. Um, and then in these interlocking narratives, Egan spins out the consequences of own your unconscious through the lives of these characters whose paths intersect over decades. Um, intellectually dazzling, the candy house is also extraordinarily moving, a testament to the tenacity and transcendence of human longing for real connection, love, family, privacy, and redemption. Um, in the world of Egan's spectacular imagination, there are counters who track and exploit desires and their eluders, those who understand the price of taking a bite of the candy house. And then what I love is she introduces these characters in all of these narrative styles. And um, did anyone ever read The Goon Squad? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Did you? What did you think of The Goon I Squad? I enjoyed it, although yeah. it's been a few years. I've started listening to this audio yeah. um, actually in the car, and uh, I think I probably need to go revisit, and it's get a maybe revisit one, from The Goon And maybe Squad. one you need to just read, because I, I went from listening to just, getting the book and kind of finishing oh, right. it because this is a tough listen. It's okay. a really tough listen. That's good to know. Um, but the voices go from omniscient to first person, plural, to a duet of voices, and then descends into a full chapter of tweets. <laughs> <laughs> descends. All the or way. ascends. Oh, does it ascend? Or ascends. <laughs> yeah. And but and <laughs> you almost can't believe it's from the same mind. Oh, man. Literally. All of these, the way, er, even every chapter, like every chapter is written differently. It's, the style is different. Um, the voices are so different. So it's, it's still great though. And it's again, that near future. And, you know, wonder if you could look at, so like someone dies, you can then go back and, and pull from the archive of their memory. And, and what would happen if you could go back and say, you know, um, you thought, because there are a few kind of tragedies in this book where um, them going back and seeing that they didn't do what they thought they did kind of thing um, was either helpful or or detrimental. Oh, it's an amazing so, question. Yeah, it's an amazing exactly. question. What, yeah. how our memories are warped a tiny bit yes. every time we're remembering. Yes. And every time you recall. Every time you recall, it's going to yep. change a tiny bit. Yeah. It's so, it's great. The Candy House, yeah. um, Jennifer Egan, smart, whip smart writer. Yeah. Again, kind of writing in that speculative, but this is a future that could be upon us type of thing. So interesting. We've had at least three futuristic. Yeah. yeah. That's so why far. I was thinking we're all, we're all syncing up, <laughs> but I'm going to bring it back to today. Yes, please. And review Kevin Jones's quick trip to Moab again Excellent. in full disclosure. I've known Kevin for probably 20 years known as father who's turning 100 all right. on May 14th, even longer. But, um, Kevin was the state archaeologist for about a dozen years uh, here in Utah until he got fired for speaking truth. And he's kind of retired to the bean fields of southwest Colorado and has uh, published three or four books now, nonfiction and, and a previous book of fiction. And he has published A Quick Trip to Moab, Insurrection in the Wilderness. So let me take you back to about, what, four or five years ago. And this ragtag group of um, 
a right-wing supremacist take over the Malheur Wildlife Refuge and put the idea of w uh, Western lands and who owns these lands on the forefront of the national argument. And Kevin kind of takes that idea into our backyard. And there's a, a literally a ragtag group of insurrectionists who have taken over part of the San Rafael Swell. So it's not a physical building, but it's a place in which everyone recreates and loves. And they are simply railing against anything by big, big government. And this geologist is driving down from Salt Lake City, and he lets his dog out to pee. And he discovers two people who have uh, been injured. And it turns out this couple from, I think it was Kentucky, were driving a semi-truck of uh, food cross-country, and they were hijacked and dumped out and the, the husband was shot, not mortally yet. And so this geologist finds these two wounded folks along the side of the road in a rest stop that you all know and on, on en route to, to Price. <laughs> and um, it begins to devolve into this life and death game of survival out in the wilds of the San Rafael Swell. And Kevin, because he knows the geography and the geology and the archaeology so well, he does the perfect job of setting the scene. Too often I find authors who don't know their place try to replicate place, and it doesn't resonate for those who know it. Mm -hmm. Kevin knows it, and so from that sense it works. Does the plot work 100% of the time? Maybe not, but it works 90% of the time. And it, again, I read it, I read it flying out, um, a red sea of tranquility flying back. So it's a four hour read. <laughs> Just put it that Perfect. way. But it's a fun read. It's a, it's a quick read, but it's also a lot of philosophy because he talks about, uh, state's rights, federal rights, and who owns these lands that we mm -hmm. love so well. Mm -hmm. And Kevin will be at the store on May 16th, 16th signing copies four. of a quick trip to Moab four insurrection in the wilderness, four to 6 PM. Cool. We've just about finished up another edition of Hardback Radio, Radio Book Club on KZMU. We have like 30 seconds. Does anyone have one more book they just want to shout the title out? Andy, did you want to say anything about today? Oh. You don't want yeah. to? I think we need to. We, pretty, we do. We Even do. in the 30 seconds. I mean, uh, we do know that uh, Back of Beyond is changing ownership. And I think that's a, a buzz on the Sea of Moab lately. Uh, that in, indeed is happening this uh, week. And so this is Andy's last official time on Radio Book Club. Maybe you'll invite me back we as will, a guest. We will invite Andy back for sure. Absolutely. Uh, but I guess, I guess you have to be part of the library per se or the bookstore to be on this show. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, thank you, Sherry. It's, it's it's been my honor and pleasure to yeah. uh, co-host this yep. show with the three of you, and may it live long and, long and prosper. prosper. Yes, <laughs> yes. That, in, in tune with uh, you know the science fiction aspect <laughs> of this <laughs> show. But yeah, I just want to thank you for your, you know, your, your duties. You were on the board very much and very often mm -hmm. and, and uh, facilitating and guiding us along. So 
Thanks, Andy. And thanks for sharing your passion for good books. Yes. Uh, well done. Yes. You're welcome. <laughs> You're welcome. KZMU 90.1, 106.7 FM, Moab, Utah. You can catch Radio Book Club on KZMU's Airwaves every first Monday of the month at 5 p.m.